Hello, hello, you're vibing with Kyra's Keenan Westcott, but hey, you can just call me Kai. Welcome to another episode of the Vibe with Kai podcast. I'm all about flipping the script on mental health, turning tough topics into open conversations, and shining a light into the corners where the sun doesn't always reach. Now, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, or somewhere in between, I'm here to engage, entertain, and educate. I primarily vibe around ADHD and introversion around here, but I'm not afraid to tackle all corners of the mental health landscape. I believe that a good laugh can be just as therapeutic as a good cry, so I sprinkle in a little humor like confetti because, hey, why not? Life's a party, even when it's a bit of a chaotic one. So with that said, sit back, grab your favorite beverage, maybe even your favorite fidget toy, and let's start vibing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Vibe with Kai podcast. Today, I am honored to have a very special guest with us today. All of us Vibers, Angela Noss is here, a distinguished therapist and founder of Noss Therapy with a rich background in treating trauma and specializing in men's mental health. Angela is here to share her expertise and insights with us today. Angela, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us for this very important conversation. What's going on? It's so nice to see you. Thanks so much for having me on. Long time oh listener, goodness. first time guest, I guess. <laughs> I I, I appreciate honestly, like your 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 support, your kind words. It really does mean a lot. So so thank you so much for for being here. And I I always tell people, I like I am not a mental health professional, nor do I pretend to be one. So whenever I get the opportunity to um, talk with a mental health professional, I always jump at that opportunity because you just you are armed with insight and knowledge that I could never ever uh, have because I went to school for zero years for this so oh, stop it. <laughs> but you know you have something even more valuable which is that lived experience i mm -hmm. really appreciated the last episode of your pod that you did mm -hmm. where you just kind of laid it out you were yeah. like i'm gonna be honest this yeah. was my journey men don't talk about that enough yeah and i think it's extremely valuable just for you to be like i'm here i'm talking <laughs> about it and i'm being authentic about it yeah i try you know i i i was uh, at a conference uh last weekend and uh you know, we were a lot of men came up to me and, and were talking to me about mental health because I, I I I gave this speech that highlighted you know mental health, but specifically men's mental health. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying is that there aren't many male mental health advocates on social media, uh, at least not nearly as many as there are women that that do it. And obviously, like I mean, there's plenty of women that advocate for for men's mental health, and I'm not saying that's not happening, but like. Um, I try to be a male, specifically black male that talks openly about their mental health and honestly, and it's scary, but also self-therapeutic at times. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. So, and it's all, it's all new to me. This is all new to me. I only got diagnosed last year. It's crazy. You know, but I feel like that's something also that a lot of men resonate with is once you get this diagnosis, mm -hmm. so you share you, you've had a couple diagnoses. Mm -hmm. I think the ADHD one is particularly like uh, a common struggle. People hear, okay, I have ADHD. <laughs> this is like a more or less a permanent condition yeah. just to, just to kind of use that. I literally have my fidget spinner with me. Like I, I, I like I have it. to, <laughs> I have to have it with me. <laughs> you know, you find out, okay, this is something I've, been living with my whole yeah. life and I will live with my whole mm -hmm. life what do you do mm -hmm. with the weight of that like yeah. where do you put that information yeah yeah it's it's a lot but like it's been such a unique fun journey um but enough about me I want to talk about you oh my god stop uh, Angela <laughs> Nas um so so 
I, can you share just a little bit of a background, like how you got into to you know being a therapist and that specializes specifically in trauma and and addiction, men's mental health? Can sure. you can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So my background is uh, in Los Angeles, working with. Uh, the homeless population and human trafficking population. Wow. Um, I worked at the Los Angeles Mission. I worked at a couple of rehabilitation, outpatient, and inpatient substance mm-hmm. use facilities for houseless people and people with substance use. Mm-hmm. And the one of the biggest, most striking things that I noticed was this issue of like men's mental health wasn't being talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And it's still not talked about enough. Like you said, there's a lot of female mental health advocates who brave a lot of stigma Mm -hmm. and I'm waiting for men to kind of step up and do that. Um, There's a conversation among men that like therapy is something that you don't talk about if you Mm -hmm. get it. Um, Like, I think it's common among male clients to even do like telehealth because you don't want to go in person. What if somebody sees you going to therapy? (laughs) You know, the the combination of like social stigma around it Mm -hmm. and then like societal expectations of masculinity like Mm -hmm. are you less of a person Mm -hmm. or you know somehow less than if you admit you have a problem and ask for help i'd say it's the opposite you know right i'm I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually one of the questions that i wanted to ask you is is what role does societal perception and expectations of of quote masculinity like play in the mental health of men like what what role does that play in it i mean it's got to be the biggest factor right? yeah yeah i recently did this deep dive into first responder mental health because i wanted to know why they don't go to therapy mm-hmm. um, and i got that same answer from so many people it's the idea that like if you ask for help you are going against the societal norm that says men should care for other people. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, this is like a positive standard. Like mm-hmm. I I like that a, a positive aspect of masculinity is men feel like they want to take care of other people. That's sure. great and beautiful and wholesome. But d- d- what about taking care of yourself? Mm-hmm. I mean, wh- what do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's it's funny because like I, I grew up um, looking up to three types of people. Number one, my dad. Right. Number two, uh, I played sports, so I looked up to to athletes and specifically basketball players. And I looked up to the the music I was listening to. So hip hop artists, R&B and like none of those people (laughs) were talking about mental health, at least not like openly and 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 all of that. So it's like it's real great growing up playing sports, especially like I was I always thought I was weak. I always thought that, you know, crying things like crying was like a sign of like, you're a wuss. Like, why are you crying? You know, like the, you're not allowed to be vulnerable or show emotion. You you need to be strong at all times. And that was ingrained in my brain. And it took me 35 years to to like find my way out of that. And and I feel like I, it took the blinders off my, my face. And it's so crazy how freeing that felt. So like when you're talking to uh, men, you know, about their mental health, like what, what happens when, like, when, when do they have that breakthrough? Do you think like, is there something that happens that, you know, whether it's in their personal life or with you, like that they have that breakthrough that they're like, Hey, no, it's okay for me to open up here. I feel like a common thing that I hear from a lot of my male clients is 
um, nobody can tell that I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And dudes will come in and metaphorically, like their hair is on fire. And Mm -hmm. they're like, no one knows that I'm under this amount of stress. And I'm like, I'm sure everybody knows. I I bet like every single person that meets you in your life for the first time can tell he's Mm -hmm. having a hard time. Yeah, You you know, this idea that you're hiding it well, especially addiction, you'll meet Mm -hmm. people who are deep in their addiction and they'll be like, no one knows I'm I'm using. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Mm, I bet that's not true. Right. Um, Right. I, I think if you take a second and you really talk to the people who care about you and you share that you're going through something, what you might find is that they already know. They'll be like, I didn't want to say anything, but like, I can tell you're having a hard time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you find like, like you, you obviously have, uh, you know, clients of, of men, women, everything in between, right? Do you find that when it comes to addiction, that men and women treat it or handle it differently? Or do you feel like it's just like the same kind of issues or like, or do people handle it differently? Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 I think a, a common like misconception about addiction, you know, you talk about maladaptive thoughts that kind mm-hmm. of encourage addiction mm-hmm. and part of unpacking addiction is challenging some of this thinking and a common thought among many people who are long-term substance abuse is that you can justify substance use because you're taking care of the people around you. Mm-hmm. So it might be like, I, you know, for example, take alcoholism, they'll be like, my alcoholism is excusable and manageable because it allows me to function at like a superhuman level. I can Mm -hmm. have three jobs and take the kids to school and be a high achiever. Mm -hmm. And the alcoholism is just my outlet. And that's fine. Right. And it's this idea that like, you need to take care of everyone else, even if it's hurting you. Mm -hmm. And unpacking that is really, really hard. Right, right. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, 84, 85% of my audience that follow me on social and listen to this are women. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of times I'll get questions in my email and, you know, DMs saying, how can I help my husband? How can I help my boyfriend? How can I help my best guy friend or my guy coworker? If you could give like just one or two broad strokes of insight into what women can, what role women can play in helping men feel, I guess, more comfortable acknowledging and doing something about their mental health. The best thing you can do is empathically talk with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I love you. I care about you. I'm here for you and tell them what you notice. Mm-hmm. You know, I notice you're not sleeping. I notice you're drinking more than usual. You know, I notice you're distant, whatever it is, but in a kind way, not in an accusing way, just to let them know that like you care about them and you're here for them and you want to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's and it's so it's so tough because I know I mean, I'm I'm going to assume that perhaps men are might be a little bit more stubborn in acknowledging and let alone taking action in you know, helping to improve themselves and, and to combat those things. And even like, to be honest, even acknowledging some of the things that we've been through as men, it seems tough. And and I'll, I'll tell you why, like I, I was recently in an abusive relationship and it took me a very long time to acknowledge that. Cause I didn't think that I'm like, no, there's no way I'm a, I'm a guy like, no, there's no way she could have done that to me but she did. 
And like, I'm like, man, why was, why was it so tough for me to acknowledge that? And I, and I think it's because of just the way I was raised and the way that the way that things are out there. So if there's a, if there's a guy out there that is like, I think I'm in a traumatic situation right now, but I don't know how to tell if I am, I don't know if I need to go get help. What would you say to them right now? First of all, I'm really happy that you brought that up and thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing that. That's kind of thinking is exactly what abusers want you to go through Mm -hmm. this process of maybe abuse isn't real. Maybe it's in my head. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a wonderful book about domestic violence that I really like. It's called, why does he do that by Lundy Bancroft? And it Mm -hmm. is written for a female audience, Mm -hmm. but the whole idea of the writing of this book was the author worked with both abusers and survivors. And he noticed that this pattern of a, abusers saying they're out of control and it's just an out of control thing that they sometimes happens to them was in Mm -hmm. fact an intentional pattern of manipulation Mm -hmm. so i speak with a lot of men who are survivors of domestic violence but they never framed it that way because their abusers told them things like that like well this isn't really abuse it's in your head you're making it up this doesn't happen to you and i think it's it's very difficult for survivors to come to terms with like what if this was abuse? What does that mean for my identity? What does that say about me that I let this happen to me? Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to say it's not your fault. It's not because of anything you did. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it it's a thing that happens to everyone and it can happen to anyone. Right. I mean, you're weak. Right, right. It, it's so it's so tough. And um, I'm glad and I'm glad that, you know, you you answered that so eloquently because I, I get that question all the time and I might take that little snippet and, you know, and, and put it up because that's probably one of the top questions that I get between, you know, that and and children, you know, uh, you know, how do I help my my child in, in that way? So what do you think? seeing that so much pressure comes from society and social media and and regular media and movies, TV, all that about, you know, masculinity, what can we actually do about that? Can we change that somehow? Like, how do we change that perception or at least work towards it? Is that, is that even possible? Oh, I def- I think it's possible and yeah. necessary. I mean, if you really unpack it, mm-hmm. like really just go ahead, put a tinfoil hat on, who does it benefit? <laughs> to like in society, what groups does it benefit to hold this standard that men must meet this unachievable standard of being the caretakers of everyone Mm -hmm. and never think about themselves? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm seriously asking you who benefits from this? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's... I I feel like it always comes down to money, like somehow, like, like you know, that's what it comes down to, like, just like these uh, beauty standards. And when I say that, like, I don't just mean, you know, women, like the beauty standards and expectations of of men and women um, to to sell products. And I I work in marketing. So and marketing is a form of manipulation. And I feel like sometimes I'm like, I'm part of the problem. (laughs) I'm part of the problem. I'm targeting people and hitting their pain points. Um, but it's really interesting because I'm, I, I feel as though there has been a shift and I think people are a little bit more aware of it, but you know, it's just sometimes those, those, um, like ancestral things that are just kind of and ideologies that are just passed down, especially here in America, you know, it's just like, it's just there. And it's just, I feel like it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes. Oh, it's so tough. Oh, it gets me worked up sometimes, but <laughs> get worked um, up. I want you to get worked. Up. <laughs> and so now, now I'm curious. So I think that, and I know this from obviously personal experience. I think that 
there's men, you know, that have harmful, you know, stereotypes and norms because of the perception of masculinity and what they have to do and all of that. Can can men unlearn that? And if so, what does it take to unlearn that? That's a really good question. Yeah. I think it's kind of like unpacking your programming, right? So mm -hmm. like you pointed out, a lot of marketing and a lot of just the backbone of society kind of functions, assuming that men will stay in line and mm -hmm. kind of meet these standards. You know, you'll work unbelievable hours for your family. You'll give up everything for other people. Society would kind of fall apart if we like unpacked that in any mm -hmm. great detail, but I'm not like opposed to that happening. I think part of it is looking at mental health. Mm -hmm. What do you need? What needs do you have that aren't being met? Mm -hmm. Also, I think we, especially in America, we live in a society that's extremely emotionally repressed. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of taught ignore your emotions. If you have any significant emotion, it's pathological and should be, be viewed as something to be ignored or put in a box. Mm -hmm. So I, a lot of times I'll ask men, like, what are you angry about? What mm. makes you angry? Mm -hmm. You know, I talk with a lot of men who ha have what they think is like an anger problem. Mm -hmm. They're like, I'm too angry. And I explode sometimes. And I, I think for some of them, the answer is you're angry all the time about so many things mm. that it's like these tiny little straws that break the camel's back. Mm. Maybe we should right. talk about some of the things you've been holding on to for years, right, things you've right. never grieved, losses you've never processed, that right. kind of stuff. Right. Be, and, and obviously, once it's acknowledged, you know, we have to go get help. We have to go seek insight. But obviously, because of the stare of, of the stigma that's out there, sometimes people, but specifically men, are reluctant to go get help. So if, if there's somebody that's listening right now that knows that they do want to like they they do need help, they do want to get better, but they're they're just like, I don't know if I'd need to go to therapy though. Like what what would you say to them right now? I love that. And I don't think that everybody needs therapy either. Yeah, I say, yeah. talk to your support system. Mm. Do you have another man in your life who's mm -hmm. been through this? Like mm -hmm. for you, Kai, I'm sure if one of your male friends came up to you and they're like, I want to talk about something kind of heavy that's been bothering me. You'd be like, heck yeah. Absolutely. Like, it happened it happened today, actually. <laughs> yeah. It did? Yeah, it did. That worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's challenge the stereotype. How did you yeah. handle that? Did you get mad and turn them away? <laughs> no, get away from me. I'm busy today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got, I got excited. I was super excited because um, like, number one, because just the fact that they, I mean, I work with them, but they don't like know me, but they know like what I'm about. And they trusted me with some very sensitive information about themselves and their lives. And like that meant a lot. And so I I jumped at the opportunity to to like, just sit and talk. So what I, honestly, what I did, I, I didn't really do a lot of talking. I just listened. <laughs> I just, I did. I just listened to what they had to say. And, and you know, empathize with them and, and validated their feelings. And like, sometimes like that in and of itself helps, <laughs> you know, just to have an ear to listen to not non-judgmental that validates, you know, cause I, that's what I needed. That's what I need every day. I, <laughs> you know, it, it I helps. think we're not taught enough how to be empathic with each mm -hmm. other. Yeah. Um, and what you just said is like a great framework. Like if somebody's mm -hmm. listening to this and they're like, how do I be empathic with my friends? How do mm -hmm. I better support them? That's a great framework is listen mm -hmm. to them. And how do you feel when they're telling you this? 
and you can right. share that with them. Mm-hmm. Like not passing a value judgment, being like what you just shared made me feel sad, yeah. made me feel anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And how much do you think, uh, like, the, the, especially for adult males, how much do you think a lot of this stems from childhood trauma? Like, do you, do you feel that it starts at a at a young age and kind of evolves as they get older kind of thing? I'm hesitant to use the word trauma, uh-huh. but like, yeah, this is like an ingrained pattern, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like aren't men told from like day one, yeah. like this mm-hmm. is the way you behave. Right. I think right. especially there's a tradition in this country of like boys who misbehave in school are mm. given this ADHD diagnosis and it's almost like a, like a punishment or yeah. like being yeah. told, well, you're getting this because you're the bad kid and something's mm. wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Like you have ADHD and this is because you're a bad kid, mm. the explanation for it. Right, and I think right. a lot of people internalize that because how could you not? Right. You know, right. I don't know if that's a part of your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and you're right. I think, yeah, I think trauma was the wrong word. Just experiences, I guess, is, sure. is a, and, 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 you know, things that, you know, we've been taught by our parents or things that we experience as, as young adults. And so at, like, is it, do you find that it's, a little difficult for you as as a woman to to foster a safe space for men do you do you feel like like men struggle talking to a woman about their mental like about their mental health or do you like make try to make it as like easy as as you can for them that's a fair question yeah. i wish we had more male therapists it is a mm-hmm. female dominated field right um right. i i do my best but i'm yeah. not a man I can't yeah. claim that experience. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's and it's it, that's the that's the other thing because I know like my my therapist is is also uh, is a white woman and she's wonderful. I love her to death. Like she's great. She's done so much for me. But I remember when I was initially looking for a therapist, I really, really, really wanted a black male therapist. I re- so bad. I really I know. And then and, and here's the thing: the ones that I found were not available. Cause they were booked up, you know, yeah. uh, and, and it, it's just crazy. Cause I, I'm, I come, I speak from a position of, of privilege, right? So like, I, you know, have the insurance that can cover it. I have, I live in a, in a, in a nice area that has a wealth of, uh, of quality services and, and, and tools and resources that I could utilize. But I really, really, really wanted a, a black male therapist and I just could not find one and when I did they just weren't available for like like literally like like a year or half a year and um I I got down (laughs) I really did because I'm like I don't know if anybody's gonna understand (laughs) what I feel like what I'm going through right now so how do you empathize personally with the people that that come across your desk I mean, I do the best that I can just to speak to the phenomenon that you're talking about, especially where people of color can't find Mm -hmm. clinicians who represent them. It's a very real problem in the field and it's top of mind for a lot of folks. There was recently a study that came out of whether or not like the entrance the you have to take an exam to be a therapist and whether or not this exam is prejudiced Mm. against people of color Mm. and it is hugely pressed it the results were like jarring i think it was you know i don't want to give the wrong statistics i can't remember it but it was like you know one in however many white people will pass Mm -hmm. this test and one in a much larger number of people of color so there is like unintentional gatekeeping in the field 
mm-hmm. prevents people of color from passing these exams to become mm-hmm. therapists. And the field is working on that. They're aware right, it's a problem. Right. They're trying to fix it. Right, right. I try and empathize just coming from like a, a, a relational, emotional place. Mm-hmm. So I can never know what you're going through, mm-hmm. but I can sit next to you while you go through mm-hmm. it and support right. you. And that's right. the best I can do. Right. Unfortunately, as you pointed out, that's just not going to cut it for a lot of folks. And mm-hmm. what we really need is better representation in therapy. And there's mm-hmm. no excuse for that. Right, right. Um, do you deal, do you work a lot with setting boundaries, you know, like like for, yeah. for helping men set boundaries? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how, uh, how a man can set healthy boundaries in his life? I, I love this conversation. Mm-hmm. So some therapists kind of categorize, like I'm one of these therapy sessions is you're moving towards knowledge about yourself or away from knowledge about yourself. And the problem with boundaries is a lot of people will recognize the need for a boundary, Mm -hmm. but implementing it, they will realize I have no motivation or interest in implementing it. So telling the difference between the two is a a big thing that I work on. So just a quick background for your Mm -hmm. listeners. Yeah. Um, the difference between boundaries and rules. It's kind of semantic, Mm -hmm. but it's an important difference. Mm -hmm. Um, A rule is something you set for another person. So I might say, okay, Kai, you're not allowed to be mean to me anymore. I have no way of enforcing that. I know, I know. So this interview is over. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's (laughs) no good as a boundary because I can't enforce that because I have no control over you. Right. A boundary would be like, a boundary is a rule you set for yourself. So it would be like, when Kai is mean to me, how will I respond to that? Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it'll yeah. be like, I will end the interaction or right. I will never talk to Kai again. Right, right. The thing right. about setting boundaries and the work that I do with people is setting boundaries that number one, are true all the time and have no exceptions. Mm-hmm. And number two, that you are actually motivated to follow. Mm. So for example, if I made a rule like I'm never going to talk to Kai again, I'm not motivated to follow that. I like him. <laughs> for those of you that can't see me right now, I have a sad face. It's right true. It's like, I know that's not going to work for either of us. <laughs> so I say, find a, a boundary that you're actually motivated to follow. And that yeah. could be true all the time with no exceptions. Right. So maybe right. a boundary is, you know, like the one I said earlier, when Kai is mean to me, you know, I tell him I don't like that. Right, right, right. I promise, I promise you, I, I will, I will not be mean to you. I promise oh, you. I don't think you could. If you I, I, <laughs> I try not to. The only time I get like a little perturbed, a little irked, and this is going to be the dumbest thing in the world. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So when you're driving and like the person in front of you is either making a, a right turn or a left turn, and they just like make the slowest turn in the world like you're like you're still trying to go straight they're turning but they like like they don't need, need to stop they can like slow down but like not go all that it's the dumbest thing it's the one thing that bothers me to no end okay i love talking with <laughs> east coast drivers especially yes. new england drivers <laughs> yeah we need a support group for, <laughs> <laughs> for like how to make everyone else in the world follow our rules because oh you're right God. you don't need to slow down that slow yes yes it, dri- it drives me crazy <laughs> wait i'm gonna ask you this has nothing to do with, with no, mental health okay. <laughs> but i but i i want to i want to ask you something because i i started to ask people this and i'm very curious i mean it, it could be a mental okay. health thing it, it has to do with the brain Okay, so this is another driving thing. Say you're driving, yes. you're on the road 
all by yourself. There is yes. nobody around at all. You can see yes. in all the directions, there is no cars at all. You come to an intersection and you go to make a right turn. Yes. There are no cars around. Yes. Do you still turn on your blinker? A hundred percent. Yes. Ooh, interesting. Why? I'm curious. Who's Why? it for? Who's it for? Who's it? Because it is muscle memory that I always use my blinker. Fair enough. Fair. That's a good answer. Why? What's the right answer? Tell There's no I'm right nervous. answer. I'm just, I'm very <laughs> curious because like me, like, I, I I know this is probably wrong and there's probably like I live across the street from a police station. They're probably like at my window listening right now. I'll be like, okay, he finally admitted, get him, get him. We got him. Um, <laughs> we got him. But like I I I wouldn't turn I put wouldn't put my blinker on. Who's you it for? It. Who's it for? I use my blinker my, all the time. When I'm supposed to use it, I use it. Yes. I use it. I would not put it on in that situation. And I feel like there's gonna be therapists. And like psychoanalyzers that are going to listen to this part of the interview, that's going to be, that's going to analyze that thought process of mine and be like, this means that he's not. Oh yeah. Okay. Secretly <laughs> repressing his, you know, <laughs> like need to be a bad, crazy driver or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has some unearthed trauma that he's not addressing right now. So <laughs> that's, so that's funny. very valid. Yeah. I, let me ask you a question. Yeah. This is a very new England question. Yeah. Um, Middle of the night. Yeah. You're on a back road. Okay. No cars. Yes. There's a stop sign. Yes. Rural area. Yeah. Do you stop at the stop sign? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> I would. I would. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll stop because if we're in a rural area, like where I grew up, there's tons of deer. So like, that's my one chance to sometimes kind of like take a look around for deer now i wouldn't turn my turn signal on for the deer like the deer is not going to be looking at my car being like oh that guy's making a right turn i'll go this way <laughs> oh my god so when you said that yeah my like repressed connecticut programming was like <laughs> oh for the deer <laughs> of course <laughs> so they see the headlights yes obviously they need to know i'm coming yeah it's a real thing you will hit the deer and they will mess up your car yes absolutely yeah and I, it's, it's it's happened it hasn't happened to me but it's come pretty dang close so i'm like i'm just gonna i'm gonna take my time because there's too many deer in this area oof i hit a raccoon once and messed up my car a raccoon a raccoon yes it messed up my car this was a long time ago i was in college i was so mad I, I, was broke. I know for, for the urban listeners i feel like we need to clarify so like in the suburbs especially like in pennsylvania it's like new england right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah especially yeah, in new no, england. well no I, no 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 it's not it's not it's, no pennsylvania i don't i i don't think that pennsylvania is considered new england i feel like new england is anywhere from like like massachusetts up Okay, I count. Yeah. I've been counting it as New England. It doesn't okay. matter. You're Fair in enough. the Northeast. Yes, I am and in the North so proud Northeast. For the urban listeners, yes, animals will just run in front of your car. Yes, in the middle of like the woods and stuff. 100%. I don't know what it, there's like a science reason they do mm -hmm. this. I forget what it is. Mm -hmm. They do, and it's scary. It's really it scary. is. <laughs> oh, that's my trauma right there. Um, <laughs> so uh, do I have a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Um, I want to talk about, this is quite the segue, by the way. <laughs> I want to talk about, 
Uh, I want to talk about grief and loss and how men handle that mm -hmm. because like I just did a partnership with uh, the National Funeral Funeral Directors Association uh, where um, we uh, I worked with them. Uh, they have these cards called Have a Talk of a Lifetime uh, where mm -hmm. it's like a conversation starter uh, with questions that you can ask a loved one to get to know them uh, before they pass away, right? And And I made a bunch of content surrounding, you know, how people handle death uh and and grieving and all of that what do you feel men struggle with the most when it comes to dealing with grief and loss great question i can't remember who it was it was one of the og psychoanalysts but they mm -hmm. said that grieving someone is much more difficult if you have ambivalent feelings about them. Mm. So for example, if you lost a loved one who you loved very much, mm -hmm. that would hypothetically be easier than losing a loved one that you hadn't fully reconciled your relationship with them. Mm. You had an unresolved conflict or you had past trauma with them, like a parent mm -hmm. or something like that. And you never figured out that relationship before mm -hmm. they passed. And mm -hmm. I think that's very true and something a lot of men struggle with. And it goes back to the idea idea of repressing your emotions right so if being able to fully grieve someone means you have to acknowledge feelings of rage and anger yeah. that you've never acknowledged you have you right. may put off grieving this person indefinitely and right. i think it's very important to talk about all of these mixed feelings and kind of own them and acknowledge right. them it's right. not about challenging the idea that you're angry it's about accepting and acknowledging right that you're right angry. For, for you personally, what has been the most rewarding part of your career, like the, with the things that you do and the people that you're helping? And what do you feel has been the most rewarding part? Like when, when you when you get home at night and you're laying in bed and you're smiling, like what well, like what are you thinking about? What's the like the most re rewarding type of thing for you? I like it when people accomplish their goals. So they're yeah. like, they might say, you know, I used to get really angry. I used to scare myself. I used yeah. to scare my wife or my partner. Yeah. And now I don't scare them anymore. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm able to access my emotions and I have deeper relationships because, because of it, because mm -hmm. here's the thing. When you access some of those like emotions you think are negative, right. like depression or rage, you get to access the happy ones too. Mm -hmm. And so it really makes me smile when people come in and we've been working together and they're like, you know what? I don't think I need as much therapy or I think I want to take a break because I'm just doing so good. I have nothing to talk about this week. <laughs> I, I like smile. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's a cool answer. And like, cause I, like, how, how do you fill your cup? Right. Cause I'm sure, like, I, I remember reading some stories of, you know, uh, about like there were people were interviewing uh, therapists and doctors and like any kind of like caregiver, like that where people take care of other people. And, and they were talking about like this exhaustion. I can't remember the actual term for it, but this, you see my cats in the background, by the way. I love cats yeah. so much. Oh my God. <laughs> they always, they never do this when I'm not talking to somebody, but whenever I'm talking to somebody, they're like, hi guys, it's me. Come <laughs> you get down. That's so that's Burr. My cats are named Hamilton and Burr. I, I am that person. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah that, i'm that person anyway um which one is worse hamilton or burr okay so they have they both have their moments but um they're both brothers uh i would say that burr is the troublemaker but hamilton's the one that always gets caught mm-hmm yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> That's my life every day. Those are my best friends. They are. Now, are you are you like a history nerd too? Is that why you? Do I that? well, yeah, that and 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 a musical nerd. So like, I'm just I like history and musicals. So like, it kind of just worked out. Yeah, and believe it or not, the name I got the name the name idea. Uh, I I didn't hold a contest, but I was like, I got two cats. I don't know what to name them. And a bunch of people were giving their suggestions, and somebody said Hamilton and Burr, and I was like, done, got it, love it, and it and just kind of went from there um so but anyway like how do you how do you fill your cup because like I feel like the the the, the interviews that I saw from other therapists like they were, that they were interviewing there's like this type of exhaust exhaustion that 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 caregivers and doctors and vets and you know all these people have taking care of other people how do you fill your cup how do you keep yourself going Compassion fatigue is real. That's I what think it I have, yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what it's called. I have excellent boundaries at this point. So mm-hmm. like, that's less of a problem for me because I'm more experienced now. Yeah. Um, But I, I do reconnect with loved ones at the end of the day. That's mm-hmm. really what I love doing. I also have cats. My cat yes. is named Prince Eugene of Savoy after like a real historical person. That's it's amazing. so stupid. That's what it's not stupid. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah so what like what do you what, what do you do for fun like when you're not when you're not helping people <laughs> like what do you what do you do just to like relax and chill like normal human stuff like painting and drawing and harassing historians <laughs> i love his I'm, I'm like a history nerd yeah like, for real i i've become obsessed with documentaries lately and I, I I was never into documentaries until like recently. And I just binged the series called How How Did They Build That? And it's like this this series of like, they go through like really famous, not even famous, but just really cool buildings around the world and just literally explain how they designed it and how they built it. I was fascinated and, and like, I can't stop. I can't stop doing oh, documentaries. It sounds like the kind of thing that I'm going to get us. Like I, I'm like writing, making a mental note. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like something I would watch. It's, re- it's really cool. It's really cool. It's on Apple, uh, Apple TV. I don't know if you have Apple, Apple plus or Apple TV or whatever. Of course. It's called. Yes. Of course I, do. Yeah, I, know. I, I discovered, <laughs> I discovered this year that like, so this is extremely stupid, but historians are on Twitter. So like, yeah. if you read someone's book, you can find them on the internet. Yeah. And yeah. and because you can like reach anyone nowadays, you can like mm-hmm. message people and be like, yeah. I really read your, I liked your book, but like, I had a question about page 47 and like <laughs> historians will compulsively answer questions. Yes. So they'll be like, what's your, what's your question? And yeah. like, they'll answer it for you. And so like, <laughs> that's my life now. That's <laughs> Th- that is not stupid, by the way. That's, I mean, not to me, at least. I think that's freaking awesome. So you're, you're in good company right now. So you're fine. Oh, okay. You're fine. It's a you're safe fine. place. <laughs> um, two more questions for you. Um, sure. Um, the first is, uh, I definitely, and this can, and I would love to have you back to talk about this next thing a little bit more, but sure. um, I'm very curious from the other end for women that are going through you know any kind of mental health you know uh journey how can men help women with their mental health journey is it the same type of concept or do you think they should go about it a little bit differently that's a really good question Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of women have this idea again that like they 
take care of other people mm-hmm. um, to the point of literal exhaustion. Right. So I've I've spoken with women and I've worked with women who will like schedule things around their obligations. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, it, I think it's wholesome and it's, it's just a paradigm yeah. you have to work within, right? right? Like you really need help. Um, but you also have to continue taking care of everyone else while you can right. help. Right. And I think a, one thing men can do it, is challenge that idea. Like, right. you know what you could do to help me? Like person, woman in my life that I love, mm-hmm. you could help yourself. Mm-hmm. I would like for you to do this mm-hmm. for me. Right, right. Do you feel that the pandemic, like, um, like, because I, I know there's been an influx of people seeking out therapy, uh, in the midst of the pandemic and stuff like that do you feel that that that's played a big big huge role in in mental health just in general as well uh, business is a booming I yeah i wouldn't know no i get it yeah yeah it's me and like divorce lawyers we're so busy <laughs> since the pandemic <laughs> you're not wrong I, not, I, 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 I work for uh, like the clients that I have at my marketing uh, agency are, are mostly home services, like clients like, so like HVAC plumbing, all that kind of stuff. That was another industry during the pandemic that was just, they like, yeah. it never stopped because like people were home and they were like looking around their house. They're like, yeah, I don't like those cabinets. I'm going to get them changed. <laughs> and, so, like, and you have all this money because you're not going to restaurants. So doing anything, you're just home staring at the cabinets that you don't like. <laughs> so they're like okay it is mm-hmm. so funny you say that my quarantine in la uh-huh. was it was me it was four people and it, me and a plumber had to work through the whole pandemic and we were so bummed we're like everybody else getting this time off we're like getting <laughs> called into work literally working overtime he's yeah. like i never get i never work overtime i have so much uh-huh. now yeah, it's a it's a crazy thing that kind of like happened and we made it through we like i feel like the human race has been through some stuff the last like three years <laughs> so much so that like they like found aliens and we were just like yeah okay <laughs> like, i love that they, we don't that's not even news at this point there's too much going on there's so much and we were just like okay, okay sure cool have fun aliens all right <laughs> just don't like, we'll circle back when we have time there's a lot going on <laughs> i think it's crazy um that's so funny. So my, my last question for you is this. Do you feel optimistic about the future of men's mental health and men's therapy? And and what future do you see? Like, what do you see happening over the next, you know, five, 10 years for men's mental health? Great question. I'm optimistic, honestly, because of people like you, because of men who are coming out of the woodwork and being like, I'm not afraid to talk about this and I'm not afraid to say it's a problem. And talking about it does not diminish my power in any way. That makes me hopeful. Just so everybody knows, I paid her to say that. No, stop it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I listen. I I appreciate those those kind words, and um, like honestly, like I said before, like this is all new to me. You know, I was diagnosed when I was thirty four, going on thirty five. I'm thirty six now, and um. Like, I don't have all the answers. Like, I I document everything that I'm going through because, like, I'm still discovering things. I'm still discovering things about my depression. I'm still discovering things about my anxiety. I'm still just discovering things about my ADHD. Like, every day is a new thing for me. And, like, the biggest thing I want to do is just, like, 
be like, hey, people, you're not alone. I'm I'm going through some shit as well. It's all right. <laughs> you know. I know. I and picture I men it's... like looking up your website in incognito <laughs> mode. They're like, I don't want people to know that Probably. I'm worried about this. <laughs> yeah, I and I often get a lot of like, since most most of my audience are, are women, I get a lot of people being like, I sent this to my son. I sent this to my husband. Good, good, good. No, I listen. I I appreciate your time um today and i i like again i would love to have you back on you know to, to talk to talk more uh because i i i feel like we only scratched the surface um with all of this and um for anybody that's interested uh in angela's uh information and all that i'm going to include it in the uh in the notes uh of this of this podcast script uh, description and if you are in uh, either colorado or california you can you can work with uh with our friend directly if i'm not mistaken right yeah, that's right. You can yeah. find me online at nostherapy.com. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to check out my website, I have some resource, resources up there. As nice. Well. Right on. Yep. And I'll, I'll make sure that that is, uh, uh, is out there. Uh, to my all of the listeners out there, uh, remember, seeking help is a brave and necessary step towards healing. It's important to create safe spaces for conversations, especially about men's health, mental health, uh, to, to encourage open communication and hopefully foster some understanding there. So um, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Vibe with Kai podcast. Thank you to my guest today, Angela Nas, whose name I said right from the beginning and I did not mess it up at all right oh my, gosh, you're so yep. <laughs> <laughs> my friends stay positive remain hopeful and most importantly be kind to yourself and others we'll see you next episode as always much love good vibes I'll see you later bye And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Vibe with Kai podcast. This is your host, Kai, hoping that our chat today was both informative and entertaining. Remember, there is no normal when it comes to mental health. It's all about finding what's healthy for you. And if that's vibing with me, well, I'm glad that you're here. I'd love to continue this conversation with you off the air as well. You can find me on all major social media platforms at The Vibe with Kai, or you can visit my official website at thevibewithkai.com. I'm here to keep the positivity flowing, the ideas sparking, and most importantly, to help everyone feel a little less alone in their mental health journey. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and your time. Keep those good vibes flowing and remember to love and accept yourself, ADHD, introversion, and all. Until next time, this is Kai signing off with a smile. Much love and good vibes. <laughs>